Hello and welcome to the Oldplane Podcast. As always, exploring the commercial aviation industry in the company of expert professionals. But first of all, quick reminder that you can find this and all the preceding episodes of the Oldplane Podcast with interesting stories about airlines and aviation on our website, oldplane.tv. This is A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E dot TV. Important, it's dot TV, not dot com. Today, we are going to have a look at a super essential function in the aviation world, but one that happens mostly behind the scenes. I'm talking about aviation fuel. Obviously, and until new means of propulsion become feasible, if there is no fuel, there is no flight. This is quite a specialized area, and one that I must confess I knew very little about. This is why I have invited not one, but two guests to come on the pod today and talk about this topic. Daniel Chero is Assistant Director, Commercial Fuel at IATA, the International Air Transport Association, and Yulia Dianova is the Head of the International Sales Division at Gazprom Neft Aero, a leading aviation fuel provider based in Russia, but with operations worldwide. Besides giving us an overview about how the aviation fuel market works, we will also talk with Daniel and Julia about another area of innovation in this segment, and that is the development of digital means to optimize the whole fueling process. Just as IATA has been pushing for some new standards for ticket distribution, like NDC, that we had the chance to discuss here on the podcast on episode number 14, check it out. This international organization is promoting as well new technological standards in the fuel industry. These new standards facilitate the exchange of information between all the different parties involved in the fueling process, the airlines, fuel suppliers, people on the ground manning the fuel trucks, etc. Surprisingly, this is an area that until now had few common standards and this resulted often in too much complexity. Now this is being sorted out by technology. And Gazprom Neft Aero, for example, and this is why we have here Yulia today, is an early adopter of this IATA's uh, fuel standards technology. So we're going to hear from Yulia and Daniel, but what all this means in practice? I hope this episode helps shed some light on this very essential aspect of the aviation industry. And without further ado, let me welcome our guest today. Hello, Daniel and Yulia. How are you? Hello, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hi, hi, Mikael. Very good, thank you very much. So we, you are in two different locations, right? Julia, uh, you are in Moscow. And... No, no, I'm in huh? St. Petersburg, Saint in Petersburg. Russia, but in okay. St. Petersburg, yeah. Okay, and you, Daniel? I'm in Geneva. In Geneva, okay, yeah. so we've got a multinational call here. Very good, so we are going to talk about aviation fuel, uh, which is a, a very important topic because with no fuel there's no flying of course we are going to try to understand a bit better how this market works with two experts from IATA from the fuel team at IATA and from Gazprom Neft Aero which is a Russian supplier of aviation fuel it's a very important player in this in this market and first of all i would suggest we go to the basics well actually let me let me put it this way Maybe better if, if you start introducing what you guys do, each of you. Yeah, so who starts? Daniel, you, you start? Right. 
So, I mean, aviation fuel is a quite complex issue and within IATSA there's actually three departments that currently deal with, uh, with fuel. So there's one which is technical fuel department. There's one that's dealing with uh, SAF, sustainable aviation fuels. And then there's our department and, and we do commercial matters. So everything that has to do with efficiencies, transparency, competition, government relations and such. So we, we do that part. So it, it's quite, quite complex. And usually lots of people involved both in the supplier side and also from the airlines. And also from IATA, you are also uh, pushing a number of technology initiatives as well. Right? Exactly. And, and I think that, that's the, 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 the main purpose of this call is to discuss those, right? So how, how digitalization can support uh, bringing improvements and, and efficiencies to the airlines and also mm -hmm. suppliers. I think this is something that um, benefits all stakeholders involved. Yes, actually, yeah, that's one of the topics we're going to discuss because like every other aspect of the aviation industry, the fuel segment is also undergoing an accelerated digitalization. And I think uh, Julia from Gazprom Neft, you're going to explain us as well a little bit your experience in, in this area. Uh, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself and, and your role? Uh, yes, uh, first of all, Mikhail, thank you very much for uh, inviting me to this podcast. Very interesting podcast, I should say. Uh, so I'm here from the supplier side, from uh, Gazprom Era, um, which is uh, a leading uh, supplier in Russia, fuel supplier. Uh, so, uh, yeah, here we have um, uh, domestic market and I work mostly for international sales market uh, with the international airlines and uh, we also have our business outside of Russia in the international airports with the uh, um, uh, direct uh, stakeholders there with the direct suppliers, uh, native uh, national suppliers in different parts of the world. So um, I also also uh, come into the uh, IATA Fuel Data Standards Group, FDSG group, uh, where we are discussing digital standards, uh, which we are going to discuss today uh, at the podcast. Yes. Uh, first of all, uh, before we move into discussing the specific technologies that uh, you guys have been working on, I would like to start with um, a bit of an introduction about how the, the world of aviation fuel works, because many people in aviation, including myself, we are not experts in, in aviation fuel. This is a very, very specialized area, but it's very important. I mean, you, when you see any, any financial report of any airline, always fuel is a very, very, very important part of uh, the cost structure of the profitability, it has a massive impact on how this industry works. It's a very technical area, so not many people are aware of everything that's going on behind the scenes. So that's why we are, today we are trying to, to shed some light here into this area and try to understand a bit who are the players here. Let's start by how, how is the aviation fuel market structure? On one side, you have, I guess, the refining companies, the, the fuel producers, like Gazprom, Nefta, Aero. Obviously, there's a logistics that bring it, this distribution, the fuel to, to the different supply points. Then at the airport, I guess there's also the companies that physically supply the fuel to the, to the aircraft, which I don't know if are the same ones that are also producing the fuel. I don't know how vertically integrated this this market is and then obviously there is a whole process to and we're going to touch this later because that's one of the areas where digitalization is happening there's a whole process to control this flow and to um, a whole uh, paper trail of uh, contracts and uh, 
counterparties involved in all this process. Can you tell us, I don't know if uh, Daniel, Julia, who, who would like to, to answer this one, but how is this market structure? I mean, from the refinery all the way to the plane. I can start, I guess, because uh, all these processes that uh, Mikhail, you just mentioned, these are, um, these belong to the vertical integrated company, like the company I come from. So uh, we have, uh, starting from the refinery, we take the product uh, to the fueling farms where we put it into the airlines tank. So we cover all these uh, processes together with the sales. And um, uh, basically, you can just uh, divide the process of uh, fuel supply into technical and commercial. So the, the technical part in the airport, uh, it, is a, uh, it consists of a preparation and the fuel supply uh, part. So the preparation part is really very important because uh, it uh, covers the organization of um, technical equipment, um, following the uh, technical standards, the international uh, fuel standards like IATA, FTP standards. Um, and it is very, uh, there is a very strict quality control on each and every, every stage of uh, fuel supply from uh, the reservoirs to the uh, fuel tanks, from the fuel tanks into the uh, airplane tank. So basically there is a quality control, very strict because you should uh, take a very good care of uh, the aviation fuel because you cannot do the off-specification fuel because it uh, would lead to very bad results. And uh, that's why uh, if we speak about the preparational part, it, uh, it is uh, one of the most uh, important parts uh, of uh, the fuel supply process. And uh, the whole process, if we speak about the airline, and uh, um, we, we know that the airline on the apron of uh, the airport is uh, the, the whole process looks like a pit stop on the Formula Racing Cup. So uh, all the processes should be very fast and um, uh, all the minutes are already calculated. So you cannot just uh, do nothing on the apron. You should be involved into the process so uh, each and every second uh, costs money and that's why we have to be very uh, fast uh, there mm -hmm. so um and so you, the, provide, the other, the, you provide the whole process so you you produce you refine you distribute yeah. and you all the way up to the to the apron when the the plane arrives and it, it you as a company you also supply physically the aircraft yeah, we do. We do have our fueling uh, farms, so fueling mm -hmm. uh, uh, in the airports, uh, and uh, we take a very good care of those uh, mm -hmm. fueling farms, uh, and uh, we do uh, uh, follow the international standards uh, mm -hmm. of the quality control uh, on each and every stage, and. Uh, uh, that's why we are uh, involved. We have been uh, uh, we have um, uh, been uh, IATA strategic partner since two thousand and eight, uh, and uh, uh, fr frankly speaking, we have started our 
uh, business in 2007 and uh, we took a course for international um, business and that's why we uh, decided that uh, we should um, enter uh, international association like IATA which covers all the parts of uh, fuel supply and uh, the parts of uh, um, airlines life so mm -hmm. that's why uh, we follow the standards that IATA uh, produces and uh, in some of those uh, we take some part as well as like uh, uh, experts um, so we have the commercial part as well and uh, we work with the uh, different type of airlines like uh, cargo airlines uh, passenger airlines and uh, uh, domestic and international and uh, with the, all those uh, airlines we have um, like a uh, very uh, up-to-date uh, commercial partnership and um, we work on uh, different uh, price bases and we have uh, the uh, international stock exchange uh, formula prices uh, with the with the international airlines so uh, all the uh, work uh, of our company it follows the international standards that's what i wanted to highlight mm -hmm. and, uh, which is really important uh, to speak one language with the uh, airlines and mm -hmm. our partners because you obviously in russia i guess is your main market but you are you you have uh, operations in other countries as well so you you can supply the fuel to airlines in in different points in different airports across where yes, in europe yes or? this is a, this is another commercial part of our business so it's an international business where i will work in so it's uh, very interesting because uh, being in russia we can uh, supply to the russian airlines mostly uh, most of our uh, clients outside of russia um anywhere they want so we have a direct contract with our partners outside of russia and we have uh, uh, we can actually have uh, refueling of their clients in russia and we can supply fuel uh, in the airports where our partners are represented so this is a, an interesting part of our business which helps us to understand the world market better Mm -hmm. Because I have one question here. Are the airlines normally uh, working with just one supplier with a long-term relationship or one airline might be working with different suppliers depending on the airport, for example? So how exclusive is this relationship between the airlines and the fuel provider? So it, it, it varies. I mean, it, it, aviation is truly an international business. So I think Julia's answer mainly focused on, on, on the Russian market. Is, is, is one vision. Um, the airlines, and it also depends a lot and varies from airline to airline depending size and mm -hmm. size and other things, right? I mean, usually airlines for the most part are price takers, such as when you go and refuel your car at the gas station. Mm -hmm. And then there is a minor part that you would negotiate with your fuel supplier. That's usually what an airline would do for the largest part of their network. But some of them have gone into self-supply at some points. You have cases where airlines have actually bought refineries. Yeah, Delta. Others, yeah. Well, yeah. And then others who, who you know, uh, manage, you know, ships and, and, and you know, have, mm -hmm. are, are very integrated supply chain, right? Yeah. So you have varying degrees of involvement throughout the supply chain. And also you have 
I would doubt that there is any single fuel supplier that's present all over the world. Some of them, mainly resellers, have a quite large footprint. But if you are a global airline, you will very likely uh, go and have many different suppliers. And mm -hmm. um, that doesn't only mean suppliers such as Gazprom, who is vertically integrated. You may have actual fuel suppliers who are different depending on airport to airport. If you're an airline and you operate in your own hub, buying from suppliers, you may want to have more than one even, right? Just mm -hmm. to diversify and, and you know make sure that you will have constant streams of fuel coming from different directions and different suppliers and different you know supply chains basically. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also people who who handle the fuel facilities. There's interplane uh, service providers. There's IT service providers. So there's a it's a very complex uh, environment and and I think a a, a very interesting business and, and that mm -hmm. actually what it what it makes is that the fuel community is quite tight, I would say. So we have the Aviation Fuel Forum in Ayata, which is attended by like 800 people. And usually you see the same faces all the time because usually what happens is you start as a fuel buyer in an airline and then you become like a, a, a fuel salesperson. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's an interesting world, uh, but quite complex. So yeah, I actually wanted to ask you about the ecosystem because there are of course the large integrated companies, vertically in, vertically integrated companies, I guess from Neft. But I guess there are also some uh, some stages of this fueling process. There are also independent providers at the airport, for example. I guess there's people that are only providing fuel. Some of the people are just uh, doing maybe storage, also doing the refueling on the ground. And that, I guess, it really depends on, on the market, right? So you have some airports where there are more, there's more competition. Some other airports, there's less competition. Is it, is it that way? That's how it works. And it, it actually depends a lot on the regulatory environment and, and historical reasons i mean mm -hmm. there are reasons why some parts of the world you tend to see more monopolies and more vertical integration and in other parts of the world you see more competition in general in, in ayata i mean the, the ultimate objective is to have you know sustainable business for everyone basically mostly the airlines and that usually means lower prices and or prices that will allow for continuity of business of airlines and all suppliers we tend to think that it works best when there's competition because it takes less regulation but everything works. I mean, uh, the, there are certain conditions where, where you could see certain benefits from having a monopoly and such. But in general, we are more, more pro-competition. And the ultimate goal, and I'm going to read this because I have like, kind of like, a, you know, our, our mission statement as, as fuel buyers for airlines, right? So our goal is to have clean, dry, and unspecification fuel at a cost that's, that's reasonable, basically. Mm -hmm. Because what's the, what's the involvement between uh, IATA and the uh, fuel companies? So you mentioned, for example, Julia mentioned the uh, Gastrom Neft Aero works with IATA. How is this relationship structured? So you are an international organization that sets a number of standards, but what are the specific initiatives uh, where you work together with the airlines and um, the oil suppliers? I guess, uh, for example, one of them is fuel standards. So the, the fuel data standards group, for example. So I'll, I'll go from the more general to the more specific. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's when we'll get to the FDSG work. But um, so IATA is a trade association which works for airlines. So our, our main objective is to, to have a, a sustainable and, and, and thriving aviation industry and airline industry. 
with that in mind, we collaborate with other stakeholders. So IATA has within its membership, it's only airlines, but there's a strategic partnership program through which we collaborate with other stakeholders along the supply chain for airlines. Fuel suppliers are part of that. And, and we collaborate with them because we, we realize that collaboration is, is the way through which you get better results and better conditions for all involved in, in a certain market. And that's certainly the case for, for airlines. So when it comes to aviation fuel, we have the Aviation Fuel Forum and, and different instances where, where fuel suppliers and fuel buyers and other service providers that also work within the fuel area so in technical issues, so you know, suppliers of uh, material and, and services and you know, others. We provide a forum for people to meet. And then we have the Field Data Standards Group, which is also something that's within IATA's um, governance. So we have airlines there, but we also have fuel suppliers and IT service providers and others who collaborate to develop, which ultimately is, is a language through which all these stakeholders can communicate. So, so we have a set of standards which are based on XML language through which all people involved in the, in the supply chain can communicate. Yeah, actually, if I can make a pause here, I've been doing some research ahead of this, of this conversation today and, and read a little bit about the work you guys do. And if I understood it correctly, because I'm not an expert in this topic, is a way to make the communication between all the counterparties involved in this value chain more agile, to simplify the, all the paperwork, basically, that's involved in, in the fueling process. You make sure you all speak the same language, put it in, in plain words. Why this happens now in 2020? I mean, um, what was the process like until now? Is it so complicated that, you know, you had to design a whole whole new way of doing things because um, there's so much paperwork involved in this. All right. I, I, I guess I can start. Um, again, as we were saying, it, it's a really complex uh, kind of like life cycle for, for fuel. So you have, um, since you have more than one supplier, usually for, you know, different airports or you know, yeah, there's a negotiation process that takes place first, right? So there's a tender bid process which is already very, very work intensive. And there's lots of communications going back and forth. So right now, I guess the, the, the current status of things is that people send proposals in an email and then they attach PDF files and or XML files, which then have to get compared and such, right? So that's a partial digitalization. It used to be that you would send a you know, mail containing your offer and there's printed material and everything. That's the start. And that happens usually like once a year. But then you have all the operational part of it, which is the, the period that starts maybe like two days before the flight. There's a communication that happens between the airline and other stakeholders, not only fuel suppliers, but the airports and ground handlers and others. And then you have to have a, a transaction, a, a paper or something that supports you know, that, that fueling. And then at the end, you have the invoicing and everything contains paper and such. So mm -hmm. um, digitalizing has helped, you know, expedite the process. But then you initially, I'm saying 20 years ago or even before that, you would have suppliers or, or, or service providers that would come with their own proprietary um, systems. And then you can't really talk to anyone else outside of that and such. So that's when the fuel data standards came in 
because they're a common language which allows communication in, in, in an agnostic manner, I think, mm -hmm. uh, through which different systems and people behind those systems can communicate and exchange information. So it, it's mainly about the paperwork, the sort of information it gets exchanged here is transactional. Things like how much fuel goes into that plane, how much is the cost of that. So if I understood correctly here, there, there's two levels of interaction. You might have an airline and a fuel supplier might have a sort of um, general agreement on the supply, which I guess involves certain conditions, certain, certain covenants, etc., etc. And then at the more tactical level, then you have the actual implementation of that. So when a plane is refueled, when the, plane, the fuel is delivered on the tarmac, etc. So all this flow of information and these standards cover all aspects of the relationship between the different counterparties. Yes, so um, you are exactly right. Uh, we have uh, the commercial and technical parts, uh, uh, which is normally uh, has uh, this, you know, um, the head office is located in one city and uh, the company has different fuel stops uh, at the airports. And uh, so you have to take all the information from the airport and uh, to get it in the, into the office and then distribute among your uh, customers. So that's why it takes uh, a lot of time. First of all, it takes, uh, sometimes it has uh, human mistakes and you have to control everything to check accurately because uh, in the end of the day, it uh, comes into the airlines or suppliers losses if you don't uh, uh, control everything correctly. Mm, that's why so as for us uh, i guess that uh, having started our business in 2007 and uh, starting our business with, with international airlines uh, at 2012 i was um, it was the first time when i heard about xml standards when lufthansa called me and said okay do you work with the uh, xml invoices and i was like what that mm -hmm. uh, and then i was uh, in the know then i took some information on the internet and I found that uh, there is a, an IATA standard for the uh, document like invoice. Uh, so invoices everywhere, they are all different. Uh, I know this because I work with international suppliers all over the world and I can tell you that there are so many different formats that each and every company has uh, set up in their own city or country and uh, how they normally work with uh, the clients and when you have to take all these papers I, I can understand the airline they have different type of papers which mean one and the same thing which means the fact of the fuel supplied into plane uh, but uh, different types of and formats of these papers they have to put into their system so that they could distribute a payment to the supplier so uh, it takes time the airline has to sometimes check uh, double check the information uh, and uh, this all happens because there is no one language formatted language uh, to distribute and to exchange this 
type of information. And Diato did a great, really great job uh, to somehow take all these formats of uh, different types of invoices and put it into one standard. So this uh, invoice standard was uh, the one of the first standards and it is uh, the most successful, I guess, uh, among uh, the rest because the rest are uh, more younger than um, the invoice standard uh, XML standard. So when we started to distribute XML invoices, uh, I can say that uh, we really uh, had a time economy uh, for six to ten minutes per one document and there are millions of such documents and we had a really great man human um, economy on just working with the documents and uh, it's really great. After that, when we started to implement the XML invoices in our company according to the IAT standards, then started to see how they work in Russia and what could be uh, even more done to uh, to make uh, those uh, standards be more you know applicable in Russia. And uh, so we uh, took an initiative and we entered uh, our. Uh, FDSG, IATA, FDG uh, working group and uh, came with some initiatives in order to set uh, the, to make these uh, standards more uh, applicable in Russia, just to uh, Russia was, was very different from yeah. other countries? I wouldn't say that it was different. All the countries are really different. Even, the, even in uh, Europe, uh, different mm -hmm. uh, standards of uh, the document format, they, mm -hmm. they really differ. So, and uh, just uh, knowing this, uh, knowing these peculiarities of uh, the country helps uh, our group, our working group to, you know, to fit the standards into uh, the realities of these or those mm -hmm. regions where the document is used and uh, is applied. So uh, this helped us as a Russian uh, company to fit uh, these standards into our Russian realities and uh, to distribute this uh, electronic invoicing into our we, we, among our clients and uh, we are mm. now really happy they are happy and uh, we it's really great that we can satisfy those requirements and cut our expenses and our human resources uh, and to uh, you know to involve those resources into a more complicated tasks not just you know looking at the documents and check mm -hmm. if everything is correct or not yeah because i'm thinking here um when you are driving and you need to put fuel in your car you just go to a petrol station and you take the credit card or cash and you pay on the spot you know that many liters that much money that's the price that's it so in in case of aviation so if you have one plane flying from one country to another how do the people at the airport where it needs to be refueled know you know it's going to come this plane and it's going to be there between this time and this time and it's to get that much fuel and it's going to cost that much money so how does this in practice no uh, work so the airline should tell in advance i guess the the fuel company and the fuel company would tell the people at the airport that they need to refuel that plane at that time and put that much fuel and then who pays that i mean is it paid in advance or is uh, then you the people at the airport the whole process goes the other way around so people at the airport say hey we we refueled this, this plane for that much 
and then it goes to the headquarters and from the headquarters sends an invoice to the, to the airline. So is it, is it how it works, more or less? So um, I guess not, there's no credit card, uh, you know, the pilot goes there and-, and Oh, there <laughs> are. Yeah, there are. Oh, there are, there are, there are. Yeah. That's not the, I mean, that's not what's used by most commercial airlines, but there are fuel suppliers and I'm pretty sure Gazprom also does this that issue their own credit cards. They could be like co-branded with banks and such, but that's actually something that happens. But let's go to your question and maybe address it from, from the, the, the end point and, and go yeah. from there to I'm the back. Trying to get um, an idea of a, a practical impl implementation of all this uh, transactional information flow. So yeah. to better understand how you guys are implementing this at a practical level. So. The, the captain, when there's a flight, he has to, I mean, the top priority for every airline in the world is safety. So if you want to get from point A to point B in a certain type of aircraft with a certain payload, you need a specific amount of fuel. That could be at least that, or could be more if you want to be safe because of, you know, there's going to be like some uh, uncertainties in, in the weather and in, in where, where you're going to be going to and such, right? So how much fuel will get uploaded or, or uplifted is decided by the captain there, right? How do they communicate that to the person who's going to perform the actual uplift? Usually and traditionally what happens is there, there's a dialogue, like a face-to-face -face dialogue. And it ends when that person who performed the uplift goes and shows a paper to the captain and tells them, look, this is how much I uplifted, sign here. And they would sign and go back. Now that triggers a whole process. Sorry, can you define the concept of uplift for, for the people that are not familiarized with this? Okay, so a person goes with a hose, which they will connect to a, could be a different device, right? Could be a refueler. It depends on, you know, whether there's going to be a truck with actual mm -hmm. fuel in it, or you will connect to the hydrant. There's mm -hmm. a pit and then connect it. And then the fuel goes from there into the plane. Okay, so it's the actual, the actual action of physically yes. putting the, filling, the, the hole into up the, the, okay. the aircraft. Yes. Okay, filling the tank. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry, I interrupted you. No, no problem. So, and then it, that triggers the whole like, payment process, right? So you could, when you negotiate, you negotiate with, as, a fuel, as a fuel buyer, you negotiate with a supplier, payment terms. So you can go to prepay or you can have credit. And then there is a certain uh, period with which you would be invoiced. So maybe all the uplifts from this week will be invoiced by the end of the week. And then the airline will have 14 or 28 or whatever days to pay, unless they've been already paid in a prepaid you know, um, agreement. But that, that's basically how it works. And um, of course, there's things to consider in there as, you know, uh, fuel density and specifications. So usually the specification relates to where you're uplifting fuel, right? So in Russia, you have a specification, you have another specification in, in, in the US, for the most part equivalent, but then you will have differences as to, usually it's, it's freeze point. So if you're gonna have a transport flight, you need a fuel that's gonna freeze at a lower temperature than if you're flying, you know, from the Caribbean to South Africa, mm -hmm. right? So it's like like a petrol station, you might have this uh, 95 octane or 98 octane. Uh, that's different grades for a 
specification. But again, I'm the commercial guy here. So maybe if one of my technical colleagues listens to this, okay. say like, oh, this guy's talking. But usually you have different specifications and within that you have grades. Like you have JET A, JET A1. Or TS1 in Russia. Yeah. Okay. So uh, based, on, based on this agreement, then they put one, one type of fuel or another into the, into the plane. Usually you will have only one, one uh, specification and mm -hmm. at each airport. Uh -huh. and that's defined in your contract, which is part of the tender bid process. So, and then what you're doing is, is digitalizing this flow of paper. As Julia said, that, that involves a, a, a huge amount of, of savings for um, the processing resources that you need to deploy to, to get all this system working. Yeah? yeah, it also concerns not only the commercial part, it also concerns the part with the fueling requests. Uh, as Daniel said, uh, that uh, pilot says the final, uh, quantity, but uh, before that, the airline sends uh, a fueling request for one year, for instance, or for for one month, or for one week, with the schedule saying, "Okay, I have these kind of flights here, and uh, you should uh, fuel all these flights on uh, on the airline account." Mm -hmm. So, uh, you, uh, we are as a supplier, we. Uh, nominate this uh, fuel uh, fuel request to the fueling farm people who are scheduling their job on the apron there they know that they have different uh, flights of different airlines that should be covered by this supplier in this airport and uh, um, they know that they would need two or three trucks for uh, for this time or five trucks for that time and they're planning their job on the apron so one, uh, when you have, uh, you know, the, especially right now when you have lots of uh, of uh, scheduled flights, uh, when the passenger flight, flight uh, airline becomes a cargo airline, the COVID uh, realities. So the the flights they can occur very unexpectedly, and um, in order to be ready to refuel them, because they have all also the timing. Uh, especially, you know, uh, I can show you an example. Uh, in the Siberian region, we had this uh, very huge amount of cargo flights that were flying from Europe to Asia, from Asia to Europe, and they were using the Siberian airports as, as the technical stops for refueling so what does it mean that uh, the, the airplane arrives in the um, Novosibirsk airport for instance and uh, ask for fuel uh, and it means that the people who are working there they should be really very fast uh, because the only thing the airline needs right now is just the fuel so uh, there is no time for anything else and in this case uh, the instant uh, nomination of the airline with the fueling request which is sent by means of uh, digital transportation like uh, by means of uh, for instance uh, IATA XML standard operational standards where the airline sends uh, several different uh, requests in different timing prior to the day of refueling uh, on the day of refueling when the airplane 
is in the air they send the corrected amount of fuel that they would need and the final on the apron in the airport they send the final fuel request with the final amount of fuel that they would need at this time depending on the weather and the commercial cargo and other things that really affect the amount of fuel they would need and in this case the fuel operator in the airport already knows how much they would need and they wouldn't uh, put be put in such a situation when uh, there will be just one truck uh, ready to refuel but the airline would need two trucks because mm -hmm. you know this is uh, the main uh, the main uh, reason why you can just go to the fuel gas station and refuel your car very easily and yeah. uh, with the airline they need tons not liters mm -hmm. you yeah, know they need a lot of, uh, of fuel so you can just uh, do it with one truck or or two trucks for yeah. instance and that's why you need to be uh, warned beforehand how much fuel they would need and uh, you should be ready within the yeah. very short uh, time to refuel the airline yeah. so that's how that's how the standards work they really work and uh, they are very effective in such situations especially yeah actually i was thinking that you can you can do a planning beforehand but then i mean the plane has tailwinds or or, or headwinds or whatever and might differ the final quantity so how fast is this automated communication? Well, not automated, not real time, but it's very pretty fast, right? So all this flow of information, it, it keeps updating as soon as airport lands, when the airport, uh, sorry, airport, the air, aircraft lands, aircraft is in the air. So you can, you can be adjusting it different times during... during you, you would uh, expect, right? You would expect that that's, that's how it works and it's automated and everything. So I, I started in, in the aviation fuel area about like 15 years ago and then I did other stuff within the airline world mm -hmm. and then I'm back in fuel since two years ago with, with Ayata. And then I said, okay, so maybe the world has changed, you know, since 15 years ago and today, right? And, and things, I was expecting like you, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like instant and all automated and everything. That's hardly the case. I mean, with the exception of a few airlines which have done a great job and also a few suppliers and Gazprom is one of them digitalizing and, and, and you know having digital support to the operation the reality for most of the world is not that you would see that some of the communications in operations between airlines and airports are based on teletype today to 2020 yeah. is a technology mm -hmm. that was developed and in use since the 1970s right and it's being used currently. And I'm not saying like, you know, I'm from Chile, which is like in the, the bottom of Latin America. Uh, I'm not saying there, I'm saying like here, right? So yeah, you would expect for digitalization to have gone a longer way than, than it has. And especially with aviation, because aviation is supposed to be, I mean, the fact of that, you know, you can lift people off the ground requires lots of technology. So you would expect airlines to be at the you know, forefront of all uh, innovation. And that's hardly the case uh, for, for the majority of the airlines in future, let's say. So again, I remember if to address your, your, your question uh, before, um, if I received an invoice and I see a, a problem with the invoice, when I was in an airline 15 years ago, what I would do is I would take the invoice, print it, go to a place where we would be saving all the flight logs 
right, which had to be saved there for compliance purposes, for matters of security and safety and others. So you would have this huge warehouse with lots of, you know, uh, flight logs. And I would go and have to compare what was signed by the captain at that airport on that day and such with the invoice I received. And that would facilitate reconciliation yeah. of the invoice, which is a process that goes after you receive the invoice. And that, if, you have, if you're digitalized and you have integrated your systems, is instant. Like you just, you know, let the systems work and tell you whether the invoice is correct or not. But in a vast majority of airlines today, there's lots of paperwork and, and things going behind the scenes that takes place for an invoice to get paid. And the actual implementation of the software that um, needs to process these uh, standards, is this done through something that has been developed by IATA or is this something that each, for example, Gazprom Nef has its um, own application developed for this or, or, or is there an ecosystem of, uh, for example, I'm thinking now there's another IATA initiative, NDC, uh, it's in the booking area, yep. it's completely different. And there's a whole ecosystem of companies that are developing uh, applications and, and systems to, to handle this type of standards. I don't know if it's the same case here. So I'll, I'll start with the general and maybe, maybe Yulia can mm -hmm. uh, then go and, and tell us what's uh, Gazprom's reality. But you don't need to have IATA XML standards implemented in order to do things digitally. You can do it on your own you know, standalone system and, and, and such. What the IATA standards enable are communications that when you want to, uh, let, let me take a step back here. You have a system and you want that system to interact with other systems. And if they speak a common language, then implementation is very quick and, and easy and painless, right? So if you have a common language to communicate, uh, then maybe you have, you're an airline, you support the operational standard and you want to connect to a fuel supplier that provides fuel at an airport where you're not currently flying. You want to start flying there. And instead of going through this whole painful process of implementation and talking to them, which for any IT developer there, you know it's going to take weeks or months even. If you speak the same language and you both have systems in place that can intercommunicate, then it's just switching on a, you know, a little, you know, it's a switch. You turn the switch on, that's it. Again, I think a, a, a more direct way of answering your question. Do you need the standards to digitalize? No. Uh, and you can implement uh, your systems, but if you are implementing things that are compliant to a standard, then whatever you want to bring online later is going to be much easier. You just have to switch things on and off. But I, I guess there, there must be some interfaces there involved. So to uh, be able to, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we to, have... to manage this flow at, at each end. We have IT service providers that work with us in the FDSG. Mm -hmm. And you okay. can go and buy an off-the-shelf solution with them, and I, that, that will make your life much easier. Um, but you can also develop in-house. So and yeah. another thing that we are doing in the FDSG, because the standards have been developed already, so our, our function now as a group is to, to maintain them, right? So there are some new things coming up, and then we have to incorporate those into the existing standards. That's maintenance work. 
Okay. But we're also developing implementation guides to, to make it easier for companies that want to develop things in-house to just take the manual, see examples, and implement. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really know the reality in, in Gazprom. They may have developed their own in-house things. And actually, I think they have a really good team of people developing things, and they, they have been working a lot. But there are other suppliers who have implemented with others. Yeah, I can add that, yes, uh, exactly. We have our own in-house solutions for this. Uh, we have a very strong uh, digital team in the back office, which works for developing our uh, digital initiatives. So, for example, we have an instant data exchange system, which is uh, hardware, but uh, with, the, with the help of uh, IATA XML standards, we can exchange, we can instantly send uh, the data after the fueling is done we can instantly send this information to the airline so the airline ha can have it in the system we just uh, need to have uh, you know the same language speaking so most of the airlines most of the biggest airlines speak uh, IATA XML language so it's easy for us to, to exchange the information with them so uh, we also have this uh, uh, invoicing uh, standards in place uh, working with all the Russian airlines on this standard and um, they of course are international too uh, and we also have developed the tender with standard uh, within our uh, company and we had uh, gone through the POC with the uh, within IATA working group sessions and uh, workshops uh, we had a POC with the uh, uh, many international airlines already we have proved that uh, this uh, tender process works uh, um, with the help of our in-house solution so uh, and uh, also data exchange uh, on the apron we had uh, in 2018 we had a POC with Air France uh, for this uh, standard operational standard uh, which also works in our company and we send uh, we even exchanged information uh, for the bulk movement uh, inside uh, between the uh, between the storage tanks uh, with the help of the IATA uh, standards so uh, it, it's really helpful and it's really uh, international uh, language for uh, the data ex exchange and we're happy to have it in our in-house solutions uh, for software this really helps to uh, save time uh, and uh, to be open for the other areas Airlines and our partners outside of Russia uh, to have this uh, common digital language in place. Very good. And the inevitable question is how does this very weird, unusual, extraordinary situation we are living in the industry uh, affect the, the rollout implementation of these standards? Has this somehow affected you in, in, uh, when it comes to implementing it or, or the opposite? Maybe because it's like everything that moves in the direction of digitalization, maybe it's been accelerated by this pandemic situation. What, so, what's the situation? So it's, it's a very interesting uh, time right now regarding digitalization. There's definitely more demand and, and people actually realize the benefits right now. And, and it, it's a very basic uh, reason why. Everything that involves paper involves people, different people touching the same sheet of paper, which is a vector for contagion, right? So, so you, you can get infected by touching the same piece of paper that someone that is infected touched. 
So yeah, I, I was describing the process through which the person who performs the uplift goes to the cabin, to, to, to the cockpit, and then uh, gets a signature with a you know, ball pen from the, from the captain. That, there's risk there, and that's, that's not happening now. Fortunately, there are procedures in place through which you can avoid that. One of them is digitalization, right? But then, unfortunately, you have some jurisdictions where that signature, digital signature, is not valid from a fiscal point of view, for instance. So that's a challenge. And, and Julia was mentioning that even within Europe, you have different countries uh, having different approaches to digital signatures. So yeah, there, there's increased demand, um, but everything that means implementation means cost, and no one has a cent to spend on things that are not vital to the operation right now, especially airlines. So airlines are, are, are forced to let people go in these current times, right? And of course, they're not looking into you know, anything that's not vital to their operation. So we actually had, and, and I think Julia may have mentioned it, uh, a very interesting project to develop a, an industry hub in Ayata through which airlines and, and other stakeholders like fuel suppliers and interplane service providers could communicate and exchange information, which would enable what I was telling you before, that you can just switch on a supplier in a, in a certain airport. It was a great project with lots of uh, support from the industry, but came, you know, down came COVID-19 and everything was put on hold. Yeah. So, so we've been impacted both ways. Lots of interest, but no money to you know, support that interest. I guess it's one of those cases where you might have a, a long-term saving, but it requires some investment at the beginning, and that might make it complicated when... That that's the funny thing because the, 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 the payback is not going to be that long term. It, it's quite quick, but you don't have money to spend. So yeah. even, if, even if you're going to get your money back and, and actually save lots of money really quickly, you can't uh, afford to spend any cent. And I guess people working from home as well, it makes things slower. Well, actually, uh, I can say from myself, uh, I'm like uh, one third of workers in my company were put on remote uh, working uh, places. So uh, we worked remotely from home. We didn't uh, see any, you know, uh, troubles with that because, uh, of course, uh, a personal uh, connection is uh, very important but uh, when it is dangerous it's better to stay home and uh, the uh, modern digital solutions they help to uh, make uh, no changes uh, to the process when you work from home remotely so and uh, once you know uh, it's interesting because once I, I came back from uh, the remote uh, uh, home uh, work uh, I came to the uh, office and uh, here I had to uh, take my temperature every four hours and uh, I had to, uh, we are we are taking uh, COVID tests regularly uh, and uh, all the workers are under the antivirus uh, program are under very good support from our company because uh, the company company's employees uh, they work on the apron and each and every shift uh, and the number of people uh, it should be you know uh, they it should be uh, same and as planned because it uh, affects uh, their work on the apron with the airlines on the, and the 
airport uh, infrastructure itself. So it's very, uh, it's very important to stay healthy. Uh, and uh, that's why I, I really felt uh, the importance of being uh, or staying in the team uh, healthy and uh, safe uh, after or during this uh, COVID uh, crisis times. In this crisis, uh, especially in our company, we, we understood that in this crisis we should uh, think into the digital questions more thoroughly um, uh, we have uh, our plans to uh, somehow uh, approach the uh, internal uh, processes uh, to make them uh, more uh, digital oriented uh, more um, easy to have this you know paperless uh, work uh, to enable it on all fuel stations now we can have it in Sheremetyevo airport and we are thinking of uh, exporting this solution into our, all the fueling farms of our friends so uh, it really was a, a trigger for for the digital revolution I, I should say and going forward with pandemic or without, what's the perspective for the standard? Which targets do you have in, in a long-term perspective? <laughs> How do you plan to popularize these standards? You know, these days, long-term means in two months, right? I mean... <laughs> sort of, yeah. <laughs> in terms of uncertainty, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be very uncertain times for the airlines uh, in general, I think. So we, we are seeing massive hits in terms of personnel and, and, and resources in general. So it's going to have a mixed effect, I think. Um, I think at every level in the organizations, everyone is well aware now that digitalization is possible and needed. So that's the only way to go. So eventually we'll get there. And I think this may catalyze uh, you know, implementation and digitalization and such. But to do that, we will need uh, a workforce in place. And I think it's going to take some time to rebuild all the foundations in, in many of, of the airlines. And, and this is a part of the business. But I think this, this crisis came to reshape the, the industry, the aviation industry as a whole. So, so it, it's very hard to tell what's going to happen. Digitalization is going to happen because that's where the world is going and where, where it's been going for the last 20 years already. So I, I actually, I told you, I'm surprised that uh, we are lagging back so badly. But eventually we'll get there. And I think how quickly it'll happen will largely depend on, on how, how strong the airlines are and, and how how quickly we'll get the resources that we need to implement all these things. Yes, uh, we also think uh, that uh, uh, we have to do something with the, um, the crisis should teach us uh, some lessons so that uh, we should uh, uh, take a note of. And, uh, but we think that uh, being in the avant-garde of these changes, we would become some kind of enlightener of the uh, uh, digital uh, philosophy in the industry uh, and uh, we guess that uh, it would help to make the fuel process uh, not as not more complicated as uh, you know to buy fuel would be not more complicated as to buy a cup of coffee in the airport that's our aim okay. uh, to make it uh, 
not that complicated uh, in terms of uh, relationship between the supplier and the airline. Uh, of course, the um, part of uh, the quality and following the standards would be uh, the same, the same, but the cooperation and uh, means of cooperation, the uh, solutions that we are going to develop really help us uh, to achieve uh, such a name to make it simple. Very well. So, yeah, I think we can maybe leave it here for today. And uh, I think it's been a very comprehensive roundup of this very interesting initiative. I'm sure we'll hear a lot more in the near future. As you said, digitalization continues unabated and uh, becomes a norm, even in those very legacy processes that are now still being transformed in our day. So where can people find out more about these standards? Is there an IATA website where they can check this information? Yes, but the address is quite complicated. So okay. I would invite people to use our good friend Google and type IATA yes. and then FDSG or, or, check the, data standards. or check the podcast notes where I'm going to post the corresponding links so that they can find all the reference information. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been very interesting having you here today and learning about this so important area of the aviation industry that is normally out of sight because you um, arrive to the airport, you board, you uh, disembark, but you don't really get to see all the, all the different processes that are moving at the same time to make sure that the, the plane gets refueled and ready for, for the next flight. So yeah, something that's always interesting to learn about. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And one more thing before you go. Remember, you can subscribe to the Oplane podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other platforms. If you like this podcast, please do not hesitate to give it a good rating or to recommend it to a friend. See you soon. Yeah.